want to start with uh, chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We're going to look at three ways to be intentional about the work of the Lord today from this very practical chapter. Three main ways to be intentional. And this is one of those sections that we might be tempted to kind of either gloss over or ignore because it is so intensely personal and practical. It just, it almost feels like, well, that's got nothing to do with us. That was Paul writing to somebody else. But the whole letter is about Paul writing to somebody else. And the whole letter is about God wanting to speak to us about what it looks like to follow Christ in a worldly culture. It's about how we can glean wisdom from him, how we can trust Jesus for the direction and for the strength to do the things that he wants to do this side of heaven. And so when we look at this very practical uh, um, um, section, I, I really do believe this is Paul wanting the Corinthians to be really intentional, intentional about some very specific things that he had asked them to do. And so I hope that as we look at these things, we can be clear about what God would have us to do. So the first one is this, in verses 1 to 4, we want to talk about being intentional by planning your generosity. Yes, I'm going to talk about money, which I don't do very often unless it comes up in the text. But it's important for us to, to see what Paul says here. So let's read the first four verses. Paul writes, Now concerning the collection for the saints... As I directed the churches in Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and to store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it is advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Now what's Paul talking about? Paul's talking about a need that he had made known to the Corinthians before, probably in the previous letter that we don't have a copy of, where he had made need of, of saying, look, okay, Jerusalem, the believers in Jerusalem were really in a bad way. There's even some speculation that, that, that what had happened is uh, when we see the church being birthed at Pentecost, many believers from around the known world came to Jerusalem at Pentecost for the feast. They received Christ, Right? And then as they receive Christ, they think, okay, Jesus is going to come back anytime. So they try to stay in Jerusalem, and eventually the money runs out. You guys will see this in Acts chapter 1 and 2, where they had all things in common. Well, eventually the money runs out, and there's a famine, and they're like broke, and they're like, oh, how do we, how do, we do this? So Paul, as, as we'll see in a lot of his letters, Paul's trying to make a collection to help these impoverished believers in Jerusalem. But there's probably more to it than that. It's probably not just about meeting the material need. It's about Paul wanting the Jerusalem church, the Jewish church, to see that the Gentile church are truly, really their brothers and sisters in Christ. And for the Gentile church to say, listen, we want to love the Jerusalem church even if they don't always treat us the way we wish they would. We want to love them and be generous to them. Now, now the, the thing that we want to think about here, about planning generosity, is we, we need to be aware of both needs and obligations. If you're going to plan to be generous, as our God is a generous God and he calls us to be generous, if you're going to plan to be generous, you need to know needs. 
And needs aren't just about meeting material needs. It's actually about building relationships with the people that are in need. It's about you humbling yourself to give and them humbling themselves to receive. But we also need to understand about obligations. We have certain obligations when it comes to generosity, when it comes to giving. Let me give you two things that we need to be aware of, okay? Because our obligations are first and foremost to God. Two things, two verses actually. Psalm chapter 24 verse 1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. See, pressure about giving may or may not be appropriate depending on the circumstances. But it's always appropriate that we recognize that we're obliged to God that everything we have is his. That's an obligation if we are Jesus followers to recognize everything we have is his. But also, John writes this in 1 John chapter 3. He says, dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. In other words, not only do all things belong to God, but love needs to be shown, not just said. And these obligations should frame our generosity. We've got to be aware of needs, and we've got to be aware of these obligations. So are you aware of that? But also, if you're going to plan your generosity, you also need to ask yourself, is, is my giving prioritized and proportional? Look at verse 2. What does he say? Clearly, he says, notice, he says, on the first day of the week, of every week, each of you put something aside. Do you see that? Paul's exhorting them not to be compulsive in their giving, but to be purposeful. Think it through. What are you going to give? Do you know how you spend your money? That's probably a good place to start. And I don't say that throwing stones or acting like I'm Mr. Perfect with my finances or anything, but I'll tell you, one of the biggest things that we don't do and we should do is to know, okay, here's what comes in and here's where it goes out. If you don't know how you spend your money, you're definitely not being purposeful or planning your generosity. You gotta know where you're, you give money or where you spend money. But he also says this in verse 2. Notice he says, notice he says, he says, and store it up as he may prosper. The NIV says, in keeping with your income. In other words, let it be proportional. See, a biblical principle for giving is the tithe, which literally means 10%. This is not me trying to make a, a, a um, an argument for tithing in the New Testament. That's not my point. My point is tithe means 10%. And a percentage is a good way of thinking about giving, about being prioritizing. I mean, I want you to think about this. Once you've figured out, or those of you who have already figured out where you spend your money, what percentage of your income do you spend on entertainment? Going to the shows, Netflix, Amazon Prime, going out to eat. That's entertainment, by the way. It's not a food budget. It's entertainment. <laughs> Thought you'd get away with that one, didn't you? Where, where do you spend, how, what percentage of money do you spend on just being entertained, just wanting to have a bit of pleasure? Nothing wrong with being entertained having a bit of pleasure. What's the percentage? If you don't know, you should know. And if you do know, think about, okay, then compare that. What's your percentage of your income are you saying, Lord, this is yours. What do you want me to do with it? Does this make sense? But also, I love the fact that when Paul brings this up, he's, he's, 
he's being apostolic. He's saying, look, this is something that's not negotiable. You really need to think about giving. You really need to be prepared to support your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. But he also says in verse 3 and 4, he says, when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit, you accredit by letter to carry your gift. In other words, you pick the people that you trust to carry this money, and then we'll send it with them. If you want me to go with them, he says, basically in verse 4, you think that's appropriate? I'll go with them. In other words, listen, he's making sure both giver and receiver are appropriately accountable. This is what we, we try to be really, really careful about making sure we know where every penny goes that goes into servants' church. But also, this is why we need to, as individuals, know where our money goes. Now listen, there, there's, a, there's a, a principle in the book of Proverbs that says, uh, says this. It, it says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. The teaching that Sarah and I received when we were first uh, believers, or at least Sarah kind of grew up with this, and I, I received this when I first became a Christian at the ripe old age of 18, was that uh, giving is about being proportionate, and it's also about prioritizing by saying, okay, God, the first bit goes to you. But also, there's this great verse that I think is even more important when it comes to our giving. In Romans chapter 13, listen to this. It says, Owe nothing to anyone except your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. Now, now, here's the thing. Have you noticed I have not mentioned giving to Servants Church once? Because that's not my point here. My point is, if God calls us, if Jesus calls us to grow in love for God, which is loving God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving God means wanting to imitate his generosity, then we have to plan or it's never going to happen. Do you understand? We have to plan for this. All right, I'm moving away from money. But there's other areas where we need to be intentional. We get to chapter verses 5 through 12, and here's what we see, okay? We see Paul talking about travel plans. His plans, uh, Timothy's plans, Apollos' plans. And we think, what does this have to do with us? Well, if you're going to be intentional, if you're going to be intentional, if you want the, to, to abound in the work of the Lord, and you're going to be intentional about that, you've got to learn to manage your expectations. And we see with these three individuals, these three men, how we get hints about how these guys manage their expectations. And I think these things apply to us. Look at verse 5. Paul says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. What's Paul's heart? I want to be with you, Corinthians. You creepy Corinthians who do all kinds of bad things, who, who, who get it wrong so often, who don't always like me the way you're supposed to, I actually want to still spend time with you. He says, but, this is why, verse 8, he's not. He says, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Do you see what Paul's saying here? Paul's basically saying, look, I really desire to spend quality time with you if the Lord provides, but here's the deal. The Lord has provided an open door for me. Now, if you want to know about Paul's ministry in Ephesus, read Acts chapter 19. You can go ahead. You can read it way before we get there. Acts chapter 19. And what you'll see is God doing some really radical things and Paul going through, through some really difficult things. And these things always go together. Listen, 
we need to recognize, have the same kind of expectations that Paul had, which was this. When there's opportunities for the gospel, there's also opposition to it. Those things always go together. You won't be intentional to share the gospel and if you're thinking, gosh, there's got to be a way I can do this where people don't oppose it. There's not. Now, you can do it in a way where people oppose you because you're being a jerk, okay? You can be a jerk with the gospel, and it's not the gospel they oppose, it's you, all right? You need to know that. You can be rude, you cannot listen, you can be insensitive, those things can happen. But if you want to share the gospel and you're thinking, if I just share it the right way, people just think, you're such a wonderful person for sharing this with me. No, a lot of times they're going to think you're bad. Especially in our, in, our, in our modern culture, we've gone from Christianity being something kind of quaint and outdated to something that might even be dangerous. There's going to be opposition. But here's the deal. If you expect that, guess what? You can have the motivation that Paul had where he says, man, I really want to be with the Corinthians. But in Ephesus, I'm getting beat up for my faith, so I think I'm supposed to stay here. Because I expect when God's opened the door, there's also going to be opposition. You guys following me? One of the reasons this is important to think about is that, that we've decided as an eldership, we've been praying about this and thinking about this for a while, and as an eldership, we want to use all of December for outreach. And we'll have more details coming in the future. We're having a team meeting with the, the broader team on Saturday, and we want to get their opinions about things first. But, but we're, we're, we want that to be about outreach. And here's what we expect. We expect when we do outreach, God's going to open some doors. He's going to open some hearts. There's going to be some opportunities to tell people about Jesus, especially during Christmas, man. People are so much more open during Christmas. And so we're going to take advantage of that because we want people to know Jesus. Amen? But we also expect there's going to be some opposition. Oh, why did you have to ruin it by making it so much about Jesus? Well, it's Christmas. It's the day we celebrate his birth. There's going to be some opposition. But managing those expectations helps us to be intentional about what we're doing. What about Timothy? Well, Paul says about Timothy, listen, notice in verse 10, he says, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him, help him in his, on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. In other words, I want him to come back and tell me what's going on in Corinth. Now, when, when Paul says to the Corinthians, hey, put Timothy at ease, it's, it, there's two reasons. One is, the Corinthians could be a bit harsh. They were harsh to Paul at times. But the other reason is Timothy had a reputation, at least it seems to be this way in Scripture, to being a bit timid. He, had a, he was afraid of what people thought. And sometimes even when people are, are intimidating, it's because they're afraid of what people think. They want to kind of try to control situation. But, but here, here's the point. Paul knows Timothy can be timid. He sends him anyway. Paul knows the Corinthians can be harsh. He sends Timothy anyway. You know why? This is why. Listen. Because part of us managing expectations is knowing that we need to balance the fear of others with the faithfulness to God. See, here's the, here's the truth. Here's the way we, we learn. And I got to just be honest, we all fear other people. And it doesn't mean we're afraid we're going to get beat up, but we, we fear the opinions of other people. All of us do. But there's only one thing that, that frees us from that. It's the fear of God. When we're more concerned about God's opinion than anybody else's opinion, we'll be faithful to him even when we know Things are going to happen to us that might not be so pleasant. But also, what about Apollos? Verse 12. Now, Paul writes, Now concerning Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. 
He will come when he has opportunity. I, I, I like this. Because remember, Apollos and Paul were two key figures in Corinth, weren't they? I mean, people were building factions around their ministries, which isn't healthy, by the way, in case you forgot that part. Really unhealthy. But Apollos had an influence. And Paul really, you can see, you get a sense that Paul's going, man, Apollos, could you go back and visit Corinth? I, 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 I'm going to do it as soon as I can. But if you went back now and just kind of affirm the things that I wrote about, just so they know that this, we're on the same page. And Apollos is like, no, I can't do it right now. I can't do it right now. Sorry, Paul. I'll go as soon as I have opportunity. This is significant to me. Because here's what we see about this. We see here Apollos makes some independent plans, but not without thinking about his responsibilities to other people. He was involved in that church plant. And he had a, a responsibility as a church planter to make sure that church plant was still doing okay. And he wasn't neglecting that necessarily. He's just going to come when he can come. Why is this important? Okay. Because Paul's urging didn't determine Apollos' plans, and Paul's plans did not remove his obligation to God's people. Now, this is really important for us because we live in a day and age where the only one who can tell us what to do is the person in the mirror. I'm going to make my own plans now. Don't put expectations on me. I make my plans. I do what I want to do. Well, in one sense, that's true. You're free to do what you want to do. But you also have obligations to God's people. If you're a Jesus follower today, you have obligations to God's people, whether you realize them or not. And so again, if we're going to be intentional about abounding in the work of the Lord, we need to think about this. Okay, wait a second. My plans are the plans I can make before the Lord. There's no doubt about that. God give me the ability to make my own plans. And we live in a free society. Praise God for a free society. This is really good. But you still have obligations to think about other people. Now, I, I, I skipped the verse in Colossians. We're going to go ahead and skip that. We won't go, go to that. But look at this verse in Proverbs chapter 19. Solomon writes, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So when we talk about managing your expectations, okay, and how this impacts us being intentional about abounding in the work of the Lord, it means we're saying, okay, Lord, I, I, I want to remember that if I'm going to be walking through open doors for the gospel, I have to expect there's going to be some opposition. Or if there's some opposition, I can expect maybe God wants to open a door here. And Lord, I have to be one who, maybe I do struggle with fearing what people think about me. I don't want my work colleagues to think I'm some kind of Jesus freak. I don't want my fellow students to think uh, I've gone to some cultic church. But Lord, I've got to be faithful to you. And we're thinking about, what are you going to do for the weekend? What are you going to do with your free time? If you're going to be intentional about following the Lord, you need to go before the Lord and say, Lord, thank you that I have the freedom to make plans, but help me to think about, do I really, is this really a good week for me to be gone? Or, or when I come to church, is it really just about me, or really should I be thinking about the obligations I have to other people? Are you guys following me? Now, none of this stuff is extreme, is it? Does any of this stuff seem extreme to anybody? It's kind of common sense, isn't it? But can we be honest? We're not always intentional about this stuff, are we? The last bit that we see, and this is, it gets even more personal, but it's really important, is in verses 13 and 24, here's the last way I think we can be intentional about abounding the work of the Lord, and that is we can maintain relationships. Now, if you have the notes in front of you, in verses 13 and 14, the sub-point I'm saying is love like a man, and I know that's controversial. I did it on purpose. 
and thank you for not walking out the door. Sarah's like, is that a good idea? Like, it is. I hope. (laughs) But this is why. Look at verse 13. Hopefully it'll make sense to you. Verse 13, Paul writes, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act, act like men. Some of your versions might say be courageous, but they literally, in the literal original language, it is act like men. Be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Now those first four commands, be watchful, stand firm, act like a man, be strong, all four of those uh, uh, commands are military terms. Paul is using military terms to define the actions of all the men and women at Corinth. And in that day, only men were in the military. Only men were soldiers. So here's the idea of act like a man. The reason I'm saying love like a man, because the overarching moral always for us are the overarching ethic, that our responsibility above all things is to love, isn't it? Okay? And so here's the deal. Paul uses, purposely uses specifically masculine military terms to say, here's what love needs to be. And you're still thinking, what does it mean to love like a man? Because that sounds kind of dodgy to me. Well, here's what, it, here's what it, it, it means. Listen. It means not being naive about the opposition. What does he say? He says in verse 13, what does he say? Be watchful. Be on guard. Recognize when you start to love, the enemy's going to come against you. Be watchful. Don't be unaware of opposition, naive about opposition. Also, he says, notice in verse 13, he says, stand firm in the faith. What's that? Not shine away from the truth. Hence why I said love like a man, because that's kind of his point. Not very PC to say that, I know, but it's still Paul's point. I don't want to lose Paul's point. He's not saying men love better than women. That's not what he's saying. Don't worry. But it's it's important. We don't shy away from the truth. What does God actually say? Again, verse 13. Act like a man. Be strong. Those things actually go together. And what it means is don't lack an effort. The idea is not like how much you can lift. It's how long are you willing to work? How long are you willing to endure? Let love be with endurance. Love endures all things, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13. And then when he talks about, listen, not let it, now let all things be done in love, what this means is not being ignorant in your motives. So, so here's one of the mistakes that we can make, especially if you're like me and you're more task-oriented than people-oriented. Here's the mistake you can make. You can do the right thing and not really care what your motive is. Now, let me just say this. If you are so looking inward and worrying about your motives, you'll probably never do anything. That's not always healthy. But if you're not doing, or you're doing and you're not thinking about your motives, I should say, then you're also missing something. Because Paul's being really clear. Listen, I want you to do all things from love. Love is supreme. Love is our motivation. You see, being... Intentional means we maintain relationships. We want to really love the way God wants us to love. This is why Paul writes this in Romans chapter 12. He says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. 
outdo one another in showing honor. Do you hear the intentionality of that? He didn't say just feel warm fuzzies for one another. There's an action required. This is what we mean by love like a man. We could equally say love like a woman. Verse 15. In verses 15 and 18, we also see that Paul wants the Corinthians to recognize good ministers in their midst. Look at verse 15. He says, notice, Now I urge you, brothers, that you know that the household of Stephanas were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these. And to every fellow worker and laborer, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanas and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. Then we're talking about, Paul's talking about, look, I want you to recognize good ministers. I want you to, to value them. So first of all, what makes good ministers? Well, in this context, Paul's pretty clear. It's, it's those, listen, it's those who devote themselves to serving others. Now, I want to be clear, too, that these people that Paul names, they were at least hosting churches, if not leading churches, but he doesn't necessarily identify them as like elders. He just calls them good servants, good ministers. So they probably had some official capacity or, or at least responsibilities among God's people, but the point is not the position. The point is the character of these people. They devoted themselves to serving. That's honorable. But also, notice as he says, he says, he says, they refreshed my spirit and yours in verse 18. You know what this means? It means that they were the kind of people to help, that helped others find rest for their souls. Does that phrase, rest for your soul, sound familiar? It's because it's what Jesus promised us. Listen to this. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You see, the people that help you find rest are this way. And you will find rest for your souls. In fact, the word refresh my spirit, it's a parallel phrase. It really means the same basic thing. In other words, what kind of ministers that we want to recognize, that we want to follow or mimic? What kind? Those that, listen, those that are devoted to serve others, and when you're with them, you just think, oh, it is really good to know Jesus. It is really good to be saved by grace. It is really glorious to know we have a hope in him. It is really amazing that our God is both good and in control. It is amazing to think about that there's nothing I've done, past, present, or future, that Christ hasn't dealt with. It is amazing to think that God, as Sammy was sharing earlier, that our God doesn't get sick of us or cast us aside. There's just something about the way they act, something about the way they, what they say that refreshes our souls. These are the ministers that we should recognize, we should value, we should mimic. These are the kind of ministers we should all try to be. This is what I mean by maintaining relationships. I don't mean sticking to your clique. I mean being the kind of men and women who want to love in this intentional, even militaristic way. Where we're just, just men, we're, we're going to embrace how hard it is and we're going to just do it. 
And we're going to be the kind of people that recognize what it means to be a good servant, a good minister. And we're going to say, God, by your grace, by your power, because of what you've done, we want to be this way. Because we want people to know you and see you. Let me say this as well before we move on to the final sub-point here. If you struggle to be one who brings a refreshment to other people's souls, it's probably an indication of how much you need your soul refreshed. And the Lord Jesus would say to you this morning, come to me. He would say, come to me. Now, if we're going to maintain relationships, it means we also move towards believers. Look at verses 19 to 24. Some of this will feel familiar if you've read any of Paul's letters before. Paul always ends his letters with greetings, but there's a couple bits in here that are like a little bit shocking. Follow me as I read verses 19 to 24. Paul says, The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Now, all that's fairly common. Paul would end most of his verses, most of his letters like this. Even, even when Paul says, I was my own hand, he did quite often because it was a way to say, this is actually from me, the Apostle Paul, but also it was a way to just to communicate personally, I, I love you. Now, greeting, when we hear the word greeting, we think, hello, how are you today? Which nobody really wants an answer to. But greeting is much bigger than this. Greeting is, and we, we, we did a whole sermon on this uh, about two years ago, right out of COVID. We did a series on the one another commands. And so one of them was looking at this, greet one another with a holy kiss. And the whole idea is that we are moving toward each other. Not away, not against, moving toward people, wanting to know them. Now, I know this comes easier for some people than it does others or at least initially. Initially, there are some people that are just much more people-oriented, much more extroverted, I guess, and they're energized by kind of being around people and getting to know people and talking to new people. Then others of us are just like, oh, it's kind of scary. But it also comes in seasons, doesn't it? There's some times when you really want to be social, other times you're like, I wish everyone would just leave me alone. And so you, you write invisibly on your forehead, leave me alone. But can I say this? Graciously, that's not God's will for any of us. God's will for us is to move toward other believers. That's what's meant by greet one another. That's what Paul modeled. But here he says something really unusual, really almost off-putting, kind of shocking. Look what he says in verse 22. He says, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Then he says, O Lord, come. If you have an old King James, it says, you might just say Maranatha, which is one Greek word. Now, it's interesting because he says, hey, greet one another. Uh, you know, uh, everyone misses you, and we love you, and here's from my own hand. And by the way, if anyone doesn't love Jesus, let him be damned. Wow, that's kind of heavy. And, and when, he, when he says here, O Lord, come, it's just this Greek word Maranatha, or Marathana, depending on how you want to pronounce it, depending on how it's used. It can either mean the Lord has come or the Lord will come. In a sense, it means both. And it's the idea of love himself has already been here. 
and love himself will return. Therefore, love is of the utmost seriousness. That loving one another, showing gospel love to each other, moving toward one another has got to be both the motivation of our intentions and the framework for our intentions. And when he says, no, if, if someone doesn't have, in fact, it's interesting because the word he uses for love for the Lord there is not agape, not that God-type love. It's, it's another very strong word. It's, it's phileo, like Philadelphia. It's a brotherly love. It's affection. Here's also an indication. If you struggle to love people, it's probably because you don't understand God's love for you. If you struggle to love God, it's for sure because you don't understand how much God loves you. And really, as we wrap this up, here's the thing that I want you to think about, especially those of you who are still wrestling with the faith, still not sure if you want to follow Jesus or not. We, we, we read this very practical kind of a, a section you're not maybe expecting to hear in church. We read this, and it's very practical for Christians, and you're going, what's this got to do with me? Here's what's got to do with you. Here's your first thing you got to be intentional about. What are you going to do with Jesus? Because the Jesus of the Bible loved you so much that he died. The Jesus of the Bible proved that he was God in, in the flesh by resurrecting. The Jesus of the Bible has mad affection for you, wants you to be in relationship with him. If you want that, you're going to have to be intentional. Maybe you're here and you're at this place with your, in your journey with God and you're thinking to yourself, no, no, I, I, I get it now, John. I'm getting it. I, I think I do need Jesus. I, I, I think I, I need him in my life. Okay, have you asked him? Have you said that to him? Have you said, Jesus, I need you in my life. I need you to save me. Or maybe you're going, well, no, I know I need him. I know he's, he died to save me. I, I know that. Okay, okay, are, are you intentional about saying, then, then you want to follow him? Do you, do, you, do you want to follow him? See, Paul's not wishing people to be damned. He's saying if people won't know, won't trust Jesus' love for them, we got nothing else for them. And, man, what we want more than anything is Jesus to come back because when Jesus comes back, you know what's going to happen? Everyone who stands before God when Jesus comes back because they know they have faith in Jesus, they know that Jesus has provided them the ability to stand, he's given them his righteousness, every one of us will love God perfectly and love one another exactly as he intends. That's the world we all want. So when Paul says these really heavy words, he's wanting to show them, hey, this is serious stuff, but this is what actually gives us the motivation to be intentional. Listen to this. I'll close with these verses and I'll pray. 1 John chapter 3, John writes this. He says, see how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. And that is what we are. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. In other words, we don't know exactly what it's going to be like because we haven't seen him face to face, but we know we're going to love like he does. And he says, and all who have this eager expectations will keep themselves pure just as he 
is pure. What's going to motivate you to be intentional about your faith? It's going to be you recognizing you belong to Jesus, that he loves you. That's 1 Corinthians. For those of you who've been here for the whole time, you've learned a whole book of the Bible. Isn't that cool? You're going to know another one soon. We're going to go through the book of Acts. But no matter where we study, no matter what we learn, there's always something that God's calling us to do. Let's be doers of God's word. Let's experience the grace that he has for us. Let's give out the love that he pours into us. Amen? That he might be glorified.